Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Wine is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, God's love poured into our hearts. And we remember at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit overcame and flooded upon the apostles, they went out, preached the gospel, and people thought they were drunk on wine. But really what they were, were soberly intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the love of God up to the brim and they were overflowing upon the world. St. Paul says to the Ephesians, do not get drunk off of wine that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what us as Christians are meant to be, filled with God's Holy Spirit. Jesus says no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, both wine and skins will be ruined. Rather, new wine is to be poured into fresh wineskins. So I want you to declare this with me. Repeat after me. Because of my baptism, I am a new creation. I am a new wineskin. And I am receiving new wine. More, Lord. Come on, let's go. All right. We need more. We need more of God's Holy Spirit. Last Tuesday uh, at Bautha, St. Paul's reading was from Romans chapter 12. And it begins with, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then it says, do not conform yourself to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We need a renewal of our mind. And this homily will be directed more towards marriages and weddings because we had this beautiful wedding at Cana. As a community, our minds need to be renewed. We need to think differently about what marriage is all about, how marriage remains what, it, what it's meant to be, and really also about the wedding. In everything, again, there's the way of the world and there's the way of God. Like I said, the way of the world thinks Father John is wearing blue because the lions are playing. The way of God we love to honor his blessed mother. Our community is losing focus on the sacrament of marriage and what, what God, what grace is being filled in the, in the husband and the wife. Nowadays, it's all about, I'm going to list a bunch of things. The dress, the ring, the envelopes, the pictures, the flowers, the bridesmaid dresses, the hair, the makeup, the cute flower girls, the ring boys, the ring security. I'm exhausted already. The seating arrangement, the singer, the midnight snack, the dinner, the entertainment, the proposal party, the engagement party, the bachelorette party, the bachelor party, the decorations for the house because we have a Zepha, this and that, this. Oh my God, okay. We're not against any of this. Jesus was invited to a wedding, and he was dancing. I have no doubt Jesus was having fun. Jesus probably, for sure, he had a glass of wine. He turned water into wine, and he had a glass of it, and he enjoyed himself. But where is the Spirit of God in all of this? Jesus is not against the world. He's saying, I'm coming into the world to sanctify it, to bring, to breathe my Holy Spirit 
to pour out my wine upon a new creation. You may say, though, like in our community, thank God, thank you, Jesus, that our community still gets married in church. Many other communities do not even show up anymore. They go to the court, they sign their document, chalas, we're done. They get married on a beach, not in a church. Isn't that happening in our community a little bit, though? Can we be real? Destination weddings are not real. The wedding happens in the church. But there's still a beauty about our culture. They come. They come to church. Remember this. Whenever you invite Jesus into your marriage, into your, into your family, he'll come. In Revelation 3, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He's knocking. Whenever you open, he loves to come. He loves to be invited. But notice what we do. As a community, I'm sorry if this is chassa, like judgmental. We invite Jesus to the wedding. He shows up. He looks cool. Look at Jesus is here. We went to the church. We came. We showed up. After we leave, okay, Jesus, uh, you can go now. You can leave. We had you for when we needed you, but bye. Because right after some of us, right after we leave this church, Jesus is not there anymore. We would rather be filled with a wine that leads to sin and debauchery. And when we kick Jesus out, the source of love, wine runs out. Imagine if at a party, especially a Chaldean party, you run out of food. A lot of us are going to have Super Bowl parties, or maybe in two weeks. I just prophesied, though. A lot of us are going to have a party tonight. And God forbid any of us ran out of food. That would be like the biggest thing in the Chaldean community, running out of wine, running out of food. This couple at the wedding at Cana ran out of wine. It was very embarrassing. It was very shameful. Us as Chaldeans, we know exactly how that feels. Remember that wine is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's love. And, and this couple ran out of love, ran out of the Holy Spirit, and they're on empty. So the party is over. It's a symbol, really, of a couple that is breaking up, about to get divorced. In Revelation 2, it says that we need to reclaim our first love. Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, I hold this against you. You have lost the love you had at first. Realize how far you have fallen and repent. Many marriages are in this situation. But let's learn from this couple at this wedding at Cana. The first thing we hear is that there's a wedding and that Mary is invited and Jesus is invited. They invite Mary and Jesus. When the wine runs out, Mary notices and Mary prays. Mary intercedes and she says, Broni, they ran out of wine. Mary says, do whatever he tells you. So the first thing we do as a community, as a married couple, is number one, invite Jesus. Number two, do whatever he tells you. Obey him. Even if you run out of wine, 
Jesus will make better wine than the first wine you thought that, that was good. Even if you had your struggles, let's say you're a, you're a married couple right now, and you're going through struggles. You're running out of wine. You're running on empty a little bit. Invite Jesus and do whatever he tells you. He will perform a miracle. And the miracle will be that you will begin to thank God for the struggle. You will thank God for the time you felt like you ran out of wine because the wine that Jesus created, was it better or worse? Say it louder. Thank you, buddy. Habibi. The wine that Jesus creates from the struggle is better. It's a better wine. Don't be discouraged if you struggle. So I have a few challenges for our married couples especially. I want you to, this week, pray the rosary together. Pray the rosary together. In doing so, you invite Mary and you, you invite Jesus into your relationship. Second, I want you all, every single married couple in this entire church, to clear Friday, this coming Friday. Every first Friday, Abuna Fawaz does an awesome marriage ministry, a night. So I want you to go on a date night together, this Friday at 7 p.m. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit how you are meant to love your wife or your husband. There's a popular book called The Five Love Languages. Have you ever heard of it? Some of you have. Okay. Five Love Languages, okay? It's a book by a, a Christian pastor now called, uh, named Gary Chapman. And he wrote that there are five ways in which we experience love, that we give and receive love. And so my challenge is to understand your spouse and to love them as they experience love. So these five love, love, love languages are words of affirmation. Say that with me. Words of affirmation. Quality time. Physical touch. Acts of service. And receiving gifts. And each of us has a dominant way in which we experience love. For example, I'm going to be real with you. Quality time is like my lowest, okay? I can, I love my best friends. If I don't see them, maybe one of them in the back there. If I don't see him for months, I still like know he loves me, I'm good, all is good. But my love languages are words of affirmation, which sometimes I reject, which I need to receive better, and um, physical touch. That's why you'll see I, like, I love to hug you guys or something. I want you to understand and learn your spouse's love language and love them as they receive love. For example, let's say your spouse loves words of affirmation. They love to be built up with words. But instead, you focus on giving them gifts or acts of service, and they're like, thank you, that was sweet, that was an act of love, but it doesn't do it for me, you know? Like, I, I experience love in this way. Or let's say you, you feel loved through quality time, but instead of quality time, again, you just get gifts. But it's like, no, babe, all I want is some quality time. Okay. All right, that was weird. <laughs> All right, you have to love your spouse in the way they receive it. 
And this takes a lot of selflessness because you have to make it about them. You have to understand them. Now, next, I want to actually switch to a slide. Steve, can you switch it over? I want you to look at this. Look at the screens. It says, it will take two to get married, but it will take three to stay married. Keep Jesus in your marriage. I want you to notice a few things. Both husband and wife are gazing upon Jesus. Please, keep looking at the picture. Don't look at me. Jesus' love on the cross is teaching you both what love is. You need to gaze upon Jesus and learn from him. Jesus turns water into wine, and then, at the Last Supper, he turns wine into his blood. You need to learn from the blood of Jesus how to love. And then you need to receive his body and blood. That's why we say, come to Mass together. Receive Jesus together. The second thing I want you to notice is, look at where their hands are. Each of them are holding each other and they're holding Jesus. Don't let go of either. Hold each other and hold Jesus. And for those who are dating, who are not yet married, I want you to take this seriously. Notice how it says, it will take three to stay married. What happens if when you're married, you're holding on to Jesus, but your spouse isn't? You need to be both holding on to him. I'm not saying that this person needs to be like the most religious, love Jesus, all of that. I'm not, look, no one's on the same spiritual, like, I'm not saying it has to be perfect. But the spouse has to be humble, God-fearing. They have to be willing to learn from Jesus and their gaze needs to be on him. They need to know that they're not God and that they are not perfect in love, but he is and they want to learn from Jesus. All right, come back to me. What if you're not married, you're not dating, and you feel called not to marriage? There are people in this church, I already know it, it's a fact. Men, some of you are called to priesthood. Women, some of you are called to be nuns, to be in religious life. I want you to notice, oh, go back to the picture, sorry. Okay, how in marriage, you love Jesus and you love your spouse. And this love is like, it's beautiful because you love your spouse through Jesus and you love Jesus through your spouse. But in a life of celibacy, a, an unmarried life, I'm not sharing my hands with anyone but Jesus. And I am able to embrace him. Basically, I'm closer to him, sorry. Okay, no, I'm just... Real talk, the celibate life is a beautiful life. You don't, you don't just have to think, oh, 
Gezile, they gave up marriage. No, it's a gift. We get to love Jesus with an undivided heart. With a heart all for Jesus. So no matter what, no matter what vocation you have, if wine is running out, invite Jesus, invite Mary, and do whatever He tells you. Amen?